Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. I love trying to figure out why things are the way they are. It's neat to understand, you know? Take a guy like Jack White, for example. If you go deep into his background, you have a much better understanding of why he is the way he is and why his music sounds the way it does. Another example is the Beastie Boys. How did they grow to what they became? If you look at Green Day's upbringing, you get them even more. Same goes for anyone. Kurt Cobain, Dave Grohl, Eddie Vedder. They all have life experiences unique to them and crucial to the music they ended up making. Let me give you another name. The Arctic Monkeys. You may, like me, have always found something different about these guys. They rock pretty good, but their songs are constructed in a very distinctive fashion. And lyrically, they're above and beyond so many bands. And they started so young. They got it while they were still teenagers. And the way they became famous was completely antithetical to the way you're supposed to do things in the music business. So to put it another way, the Arctic Monkeys are unusual. And I mean that with the utmost admiration. So I'll tell you what, let's see if we can deconstruct the band to see what makes them tick. Then maybe we'll figure out why they are the way they are. This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. The Arctic Monkeys with one of the six singles from their 2013 album, AM. Why do you only call me when you're high? And I wanted to start the show with that song because it illustrates how this band's lyrics are often light years away from those of a typical indie rock band. Now, to me, that's one of those really rare songs that when you hear it, you think, yeah, 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 that's, that's exactly what I'm thinking. That's what I've always wanted to say, but I've, I've never been able to find the words to say exactly what I meant. Damn you, Alex Turner. How do you do that? Hello again. I'm Alan Cross, and we're going to hear more music from the Monkees, but we're also going to hear material from other people, too, because instead of a standard sort of biography of the band, I want to break everything down in a way that explains why the Arctic Monkees sound and perform the way they do. I think this is a really cool way to gain a deeper understanding of their music. So the next time you hear any of their songs, you'll have a greater appreciation of what's going on here. Like I said, this program will involve listening to a lot of non-Arctic Monkeys music, and we're going to start heading in that particular direction. The first thing we have to do is look at where they came from. We're all products of our environment. Where and how you grew up is a big part of what makes you, you, right? In the case of the Arctic Monkeys, they're from Sheffield. While London, Manchester, and Liverpool get most of the attention when it comes to English music scenes, you cannot ignore Sheffield. Anyone growing up in the city in the 90s and into music would have been made aware of Sheffield's musical history. The musicians, the bands, the DJs, the clubs, the concert venues, the record labels. Sheffield first became famous for synth-pop in the 1980s. Bands like Heaven 17, Cabaret Voltaire, The Human League, ABC. This led into the era of Acid House, which spread from Sheffield all over the world. LFO, Sweet Exorcist, Otecker. But there were also bands like Def Leppard, who made sure that guitars didn't disappear entirely. By the time the guys who would become the Arctic Monkeys became musically aware, Britpop was in full swing, something that brought guitars back to the forefront. 
and one of the most important guitar bands to Sheffield was the Long Pigs. This group became a favorite of the Arctic Monkeys. In 1996, they released a record called The Sun Is Often Out. Have a listen to this track called She Said. From Sheffield, England, the Long Pigs with She Said. Big influence on the Arctic Monkeys. Could you hear it? Another group that had the band in its thrall was Pulp. They'd been around since the late 1970s, but didn't have any kind of success until the middle 90s, right about when the Arctic Monkeys were in junior high. They were more artsy than most, with singer Jarvis Cocker's lyrics often being, well, of the observational kind. Here's Pulp's biggest hit. Pay attention to the construction of the lyrics. Pulp and Common People from their 1995 album Different Class. And if you were growing up in Sheffield, England at the time, there was no way that you could have avoided them. So you see where we're going with this? In a moment, we'll dive back into things with a look at more influences. And not all of them have to do with music. We're doing a different kind of profile on this episode. We're deconstructing the Arctic Monkeys in a way that will help us understand why they sound the way they do. Aside from being from Sheffield, England... Another factor in making the Arctic Monkeys, the Arctic Monkeys, was the local geography. All four guys are from an isolated northern suburb called High Green. At the time they were growing up, there was no transit station that could take anyone downtown. You needed to drive. And if you were too young to drive, and you couldn't always take the bus, you just stayed in your neighborhood and made your own fun. Like forming a band. Everyone lived within a 10-minute walk of each other and went to the same school. And Matt Helders, who would eventually end up as the band's drummer, hung out together. Now, I think I was in oh, grade five when an English teacher asked the class to define poetry. We stumbled around for a while before she stopped us and said, no, no, you're all wrong. Poetry can be defined as economical use of words. It's maximum information, emotion, entertainment, and enlightenment in the fewest words possible, no matter how complex the subject. I've never forgotten that. I thought that was very wise. And when I first heard the Arctic Monkeys, I thought of Ms. Um, whatever her name was. Alex Turner is one of the best lyricists we've seen in our lifetimes, at least of the non-hip-hop variety. Maybe he's one of the best alt-rock lyricists since uh, maybe Morrissey? So I think if we're going to deconstruct the Arctic Monkeys, we need to look at his wordsmith talents. By the time he got to high school, Alex began writing song lyrics in the back of his books whenever he got bored. One day, though, something caught his attention in English class. His teacher read a poem, some lyrics actually, by a Manchester punk poet named John Cooper Clark. Alex Turner remembers going, Wow, you can write songs like this? Cool. Punk poet John Cooper Clark. 
A reading of those lyrics in English class became a major, major influence on a young Alex Turner. Now let's stay on this path for a moment. Alex later discovered The Streets, led by a guy named Mike Skinner. First, it was the 2003 album Original Pirate Material, but the album that really did it for Alex was A Grand Don't Come for Free. Now, you remember what I said about observational lyrics? Mike Skinner is really good at that. See, I reckon you're about an eight or a nine. Maybe even nine and a half in four beers time. That blue top, sharp top you've got on is nice. Bit too much fake tan, no, but yeah, you score high. But there's just one little thing that's really, 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 really annoying me about you, you see. Yeah, yeah, like I said, you are really fit. But my gosh, don't you just know it? Mike Skinner as The Streets with Fit But You Know It from the 2004 album A Grand Don't Come For Free which is sort of a concept album that traces the adventures of a guy who loses a thousand pounds and spends the entire record trying to get it back. Not only are the lyrics observational, but they're also very conversational and very colloquial. Now let's compare what we've heard so far from The Streets, John Cooper Clark, Pulp and the Long Pigs to the kind of songs for which Alex Turner has become famous. Oh, the boys are slag, the best you ever had, the best you ever had is just a The Arctic Monkeys, with one of their first big international hits, Fluorescent Adolescent, from their second studio record, Favorite Worst Nightmare. It's wordy stuff, but given the style of Alex's heroes, you can understand why he went in that direction. Let's now switch to drummer Matt Helders. He didn't want to be the Arctic Monkeys drummer, but since all the other instruments were taken, he had no choice. If he wanted to be in the band, he had to be their Ringo. But that was no problem, because Matt was very much into beats, his parents were very big on Motown, so there was always plenty of that in the house. And by the time he grew into his teens, he was deep into hip-hop. Wu-Tang, Outkast, and Eminem were his favorites. By 14, he had dreams of being a DJ. But by the end of the 90s, the dance scene that Matt was interested in had begun to morph into big-money territory. For those who liked it when this sort of stuff was underground, you know, garage, jungle, and the like, this was a huge turnoff. To be a rebel, to go against the mainstream, meant joining a guitar-based indie band. This is when Matt formed new allegiances to The Strokes. He also discovered this band from New Zealand called The D4. Now, let me play a track from 2000. This is called Ladies' Man. Does any of this sound like later Arctic Monkeys to you? Pretty obscure, I know. That's from New Zealand. The band is called The D4. But if you combine the style of drummer Daniel Pooley and the years of being weaned on dance and hip-hop, you can understand why Arctic Monkeys drummer Matt Helders plays the way he does. Right? It's all there. Listen. In my mind when she's not right beside me Arctic Monkeys and Are You Mine from the AM album. When we come back, I want to take a quick look at another thing that made this band what they are. 
the Internet. This is a different sort of band deconstruction, with the target being the Arctic Monkeys. We've spent most of the show going through the band's various influences. This last bit is a bit nebulous, but the group would not be where they are today without the Internet. Now, let me explain this. The Arctic Monkeys are sometimes credited as being the first band to use the Internet to break through to a mass audience. They may or may not have been the first, but few have done it better than these guys. In 2003, when everyone was just in their late teens, the band started recording demos at a local Sheffield studio called Two Fly. They weren't fancy demos, but things went well enough for them to be invited back the following year to record more songs. In total, 22 tracks were laid down. These were then burned onto various CDs, which were then given away at gigs over the next two years. Naturally, fans ripped these CDs to MP3s and started sharing them. Of the fans, the most important was a guy named Mark Bull, a dude known in Arctic Monkeys lore as The Sheriff. And as far as anyone can tell, The Sheriff was the first person to post these demo tracks online for everybody to hear. As the band gave away more songs and shows, the more The Sheriff posted. He collected everything under the title Beneath the Boardwalk, something he came up with himself referencing a regular Monkeys venue. At first, the band paid absolutely no attention to this. They didn't even know their stuff was being posted online. But they did notice something weird. Whenever they'd show up to play a gig, the crowd was bigger than the last time they were there. And what's more, a not insignificant number of these fans were singing the words back at the band. How is this possible? Well, it was the sheriff's website, which now contained 18 Arctic Monkey songs, People were downloading the songs, sharing the songs, burning the songs, creating MySpace sites devoted to the songs. And this created a virtuous circle. As more people heard the demos, the more word of mouth spread. As more people heard about the band, the more people downloaded the songs, and the more people started showing up at gigs. The sheriff helped create a self-generating community that just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, here's a sample of what he was doing. This is the original demo version of Fake Tales of San Francisco. I don't want to hear you, kick me out, kick me out. I don't want to hear you, no, kick me out, kick me out. I don't want to hear you, kick me out, kick me out. I don't want to hear you, I don't want to hear you. Fake Tales of San Francisco. One of the famous Beneath the Boardwalk demos that ended up being shared online by fans. That would, of course, be later re-recorded for the band's official debut album, Whatever People Say I Am, That's What I'm Not. At a time when the music industry was absolutely freaking out over file sharing and downloading, the Arctic Monkeys were using that to become famous. They were in their late teens and early 20s. I mean, that's what you did, right? That's what their fans were into. So once they figured out what was going on, they made the right decision to just go with it. And then again, the industry just, you know, flipped out. If you give away all your music, you'll never get anybody to buy your records. You'll be broke. What are you doing? You're idiots. Well, yeah, no. They just kept on doing it. Meanwhile, fans became evangelists, setting up even more MySpace pages with their favorite tracks. The effect just snowballed and snowballed and snowballed and snowballed. The original demo of Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor from the informal Beneath the Boardwalk collection, and that's a future number one single. 
The first thing all this download commotion did was attract the attention of a ton of record labels, and the winner was a label called Domino, who put the monkeys back into the studio and had them re-record many of the demos properly. When the album was released on January 23, 2006, it became the fastest-selling record in the history of Britain, moving a crazy 360,000 copies in the first seven days. It has since sold around 2 million in the UK and several million more around the world. Two songs went to number one on the UK charts. No fewer than five music magazines named it the year's best album. It won the Mercury Prize for the best album of 2006. It won Best International Album of the Year in Ireland. Time called it the Album of the Year, and it earned two Brit Awards, Best Album and Best Group. Who says giving away songs on the internet for free is bad for business? The Arctic Monkeys and When the Sun Goes Down, one of two singles to reach number one in the UK singles charts from their debut record. Now, I'm going to say, I'm going to guess that the band had no idea that they could be so successful giving away music for free, but they did prove to the entire industry that sharing music online can broaden and deepen the appeal of a band. They set the bar for using the internet to create a rabid fan base at an unheard of speed. And when the media figured out that the Arctic Monkeys seemed to be headed towards becoming the first band to break out of the internet, the frenzy got even crazier. You just gotta love when a plan, or however unplanned, comes together. Now that you know their headspace, maybe you'll hear the band differently. And maybe you'll be moved to check out some of the older artists that inspired the Arctic Monkeys. The Long Pigs, John Cooper Clark, Pulp, the D4, Streets. Broaden the horizons, you know? If you would like to reach out to me, I would encourage it. You can do that through my website, which is a ajournalofmusicalthings.com. It is a nifty free newsletter that comes out weekdays around 10 a.m. Eastern. You should definitely sign up for that. You can reach me through email at alan at alancross.ca. And if you go back to the website, you can link to other places that I lurk. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Google+. So, so basically what I'm saying is that there's no excuse for us not connecting. We, we definitely should. Okay? Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.